0: Welcome to Sojourner True. Thank you for staying with us. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. Today, an in-depth update. On the situation, on the ground in Haiti, what led us to this moment? What do grassroots Haitians want? What are they demanding? For several years now, grassroots Haitians have taken to the streets, demanding a return to democracy, a democracy that was interrupted in 2004 when a U.S.-backed coup took place against Haiti's first democratically elected president, jean bertrand Aristide. Indeed, since the 1804 Haitian Revolution, Haitians say they have been trying to complete their revolution. Indeed, since the revolution, which established the first black republic in the world and led to the ending of slavery in the whole of the Americas, the United States and Western powers have done what they could to undermine Haiti, often with the complicity and corruption of Haiti's 1%, the ruling corporate class. The recent protests that you might have heard about happening on the ground in Haiti, whatever the specific spark, which could vary from insecurity, violence, rising fuel prices, deep poverty, they have focused on demanding that the interim prime minister, Henri henri resign. You may recall, if you've been following Haiti, that he was selected by the late president Jovenel Moïse. Jovenel Moïse was assassinated, and it remains unclear, by the way, who or what forces were behind his assassination. Some have implicated Ariel Henry, who, by the way, promptly fired a judge who was investigating Ariel Henry's possible role in the assassination of Jovenel Moïse. But... We may never know that full story. Also, recently, there have been mass protests across the country asking former President Addis to consider heading an interim transitional government. But those protests, based on that particular specific demand, were disrupted, some say purposefully, by brutal warfare between so-named gangs, some call them death squads where in July of 2022 alone more than 200 people were killed. The United States meanwhile continues to support Ariel Henry and continues to deport back to Haiti thousands of Haitians seeking asylum in the United States. Those deported face the possibility of death Torture, hunger. The United States has also refused to support a Haitian-led solution. We're going to be discussing all of this in depth, as well as some positive news coming out of Haiti. Yes, there is some, with the opening of a teaching hospital on the campus of the University of the Foundation, known as UNIFA. Our guest is Pierre Lavoisier. We live in a global world; we're all interrelated. So on of truth, we were to bring directly to you news and views on local, national, and international policies and stories that affect us all. And we draw out how those of us most impacted women, communities of color, and other communities are responding. We also discuss the interrelationship between art and politics. Now for our news headlines.
1: For Pacifica Radio, I'm Christina Onestead. Russia and Ukrainian forces have exchanged missile and artillery fire that's killed at least six people. The fighting today indicates neither side's ready to concede any ground, despite recent military setbacks from Moscow and the toll on the invaded country after almost seven months of war. The exchange of fire came hours after the two sides made a major prisoner swap and a day after Russia's President Vladimir Putin called up reserve troops to supplement his military forces. The first round of drafted soldiers began today. Meanwhile, the war in Ukraine has taken center stage at the United Nations, where President Joe Biden and Ukraine's leader Volodymyr Zelensky spoke yesterday. Christopher Martinez has more.
2: Before President Joe Biden rose to speak at the United Nations General Assembly in New York, there was no doubt that he would be speaking about the war in Ukraine. And so he did. This war is about extinguishing Ukraine's right to exist as a state plain and simple and Ukraine's right to exist as a people whoever you are wherever you live whatever you believe that should not that should make your blood run cold Biden did talk about other issues at the general assembly's annual meeting issues like climate change He announced a nearly $3 billion investment on global food insecurity. He proposed expanding the United Nations Security Council to give more voice to Africa, Latin America, and the Caribbean. But it's clear what was the subject of the day. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky also addressed the General Assembly. He spoke via a pre-recorded video.
3: A crime has been committed against Ukraine, and we demand just punishment.
2: He talked about peace but also about the need for Ukraine to defend itself.
3: We need defence support, weapons, military equipment and shells.
2: Reporting for Pacifica Radio News KPFA, I'm Christopher Martinez.
1: At least 17 people are dead in Iran from clashes between Iranian security forces and protesters angry over the death of Mahasa Amini, a 22-year-old woman who died in police custody for not wearing her headscarf properly. That's according to an anchor on state TV. Protesters have burned police stations and images and video on social media show women burning their headscarves with signs that read, did you know letting your hair blow in the wind is a crime? Meanwhile, the hacktivist group Anonymous says it's hacked into Iran's security system and is controlling more than 1,000 cameras on Iranian streets. The group said Iran's government will pay for what they did. New York's attorney general is suing former President Donald Trump, his children, his company and its executives charging business fraud by outrageously inflating the value of his properties and businesses to obtain loans with lower interest rates and lower his taxes. Attorney General Letitia James made the announcement Wednesday.
2: Mr. Trump and the Trump Organization repeatedly and persistently manipulated the value of assets to induce banks to lend money to the Trump Organization on more favorable terms than would otherwise have been available to the company, to pay lower taxes, to satisfy continuing loan agreements, and to induce insurance companies to provide insurance coverage for higher limits and at lower premiums. We show that they violated several state criminal laws, including falsifying business records, issuing false financial statements, insurance fraud.
1: James says he's also charged with conspiring to commit the acts and is referring the case to federal authorities for similar federal crimes, as well as the IRS. In one instance, she says Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate should have been valued at about $75 million, but he fraudulently inflated its value to $739 million. The Federal Reserve is raising its key interest rate three-quarters of a point for the third straight month to fight inflation. Federal Chair Jerome Powell made the announcement Wednesday. With today's action, we have raised interest rates by three percentage points this year. At some point, as the stance of monetary policy tightens further, it will become appropriate to slow the pace of increases while we assess how our cumulative policy adjustments are affecting the economy and inflation. Restoring price stability will likely require maintaining a restrictive policy stance for some time. The historical record cautions strongly against prematurely loosening policy. The move will affect consumer and business loans, and it's the highest level since a Great Recession in early 2008. Critics of higher interest rates warn they may cause a recession. Other nations have also raised their interest rates. The Swiss National Bank raised its key interest rate three-quarters of a percent, its biggest hike ever to fend off inflation. And the U.K. Central Bank is raising its key interest rate by half a percentage point in its seventh straight hike, Aimed at taming soaring inflation. I'm Christina Onestad reporting for Pacifica Radio.
0: Those were our news headlines. And today, an in-depth conversation on what is happening on the ground, the protests that have been ongoing there actually you know they're getting some coverage right now in mainstream media but those protests have been going on consistently actually since 2004 when the US backed coup against President Aristide took place now i'd like to welcome our guest Pierre Lacroix who's one of the most respected progressive voices on Haitian politics Pierre Lacroix has dedicated his entire life his entire adult life I have a feeling as a child, he was also somehow involved advocating for the poor in Haiti. Through the Haiti Action Committee, an organization he co-founded, Pierre Lavoisier has tirelessly championed grassroots efforts to improve education, bring about social justice, and develop a stable democracy for the people of his native country. In the years since the 2010, devastating earthquake that killed hundreds of thousands of Haitians and caused immeasurable amounts of destruction to that island nation, and with hurricanes and other disasters that have happened since then, Pierre Le has focused on funding repair and rehousing efforts, supporting grassroots movement, and turning global consciousness toward the issues that his people face. Pierre Leboisier, welcome back. Thank Unbeat. you
3: very much, But uh,
0: Let me welcome you again, Pierre. What I'd like to start with, uh, first of all, a lot of people are under the impression that protests in Haiti broke out last week. They broke out two weeks ago, maybe even last month or the month before. Was I accurate in the introduction I gave that said that grassroots Haitians actually have been on the streets protesting, sometimes more frequently than others, but have been on the streets pretty consistently since that US, Canada, France back coup against President Aristide. Is that accurate? Or is this more recent?
3: Yeah, this is this is the reality, what you're saying. It's it's completely hundred percent the truth. Because from the first day of the coup d'etat against President Aristide on February 20, 28, 29, 2004. People in Haiti took to the streets. Even before that, they were when when it was very clear that the U.S. was uh, was preparing. The U.S., France, and Canada were preparing a coup against President Aristide. People were in, had been in the streets uh, the, before over a million people had taken to the streets of Port-au-Prince uh, in opposition to the coup the, and stating categorically. That President Darisil was elected for five years, and he should remain uh, in office to complete his five-year term. And so, after that, there were massive demonstrations taking place, and the repression against these demonstrations were phenomenal. I mean, in terms of the horrific nature, the atrocities, and the crimes committed in order to, to stop those demonstrations. By the by, the month of June two thousand four, the remaining. The bulk of the UN troops had come to Haiti under the, the, and at that time, Brazil, under uh, President Lula, had taken over the command of the UN troops. There was an advanced party of UN troops headed by the US, France, and Canada, and they were the ones who carried out the kidnapping coup. But then later on, in June 2004, when the bulk of the remaining forces came, uh, they continued to try to enforce Uh, the the coup d'état, and they were very brutally repressing the population because people had voted, people had participated in the democratic process, they had elected representatives both at the local and national level and their president, and to implement a program that will make life better. And things were becoming better for the population. But then this coup took place, and immediately... The government, the coup government uh, that was imposed by the U.S. and later on uh, and, and enforced by the U.N. occupation, has galvanized more and more protests. People were taking to the streets regularly, and this has been an 18 plus years of demonstrations, 18 plus years of protest, all for for to safeguard democratic principles, the right to vote, the right to have your the representatives of your choosing. And since that occupation, Margaret, we've had several elections that have taken place in Haiti, guided over by the United Nations. And they have all all of them have been fraudulent. They have been just terrible elections. And I'm not talking about a little fraud here and there. I'm talking about built in the system massively, uh, massive fraud, because the people who were selected to be put in office had already been pre-selected. And so everyone in Haiti saw it as a false, this going to the polls to play up to the international media, photo ops of people standing in lines, artificially created lines, and uh, to put in office people who, were, who had a terrible reputation, corrupt individuals and who kept carrying out acts of corrupt which today is it this is what has fueled the intensified demonstrations that we are seeing people are tired yeah. of it and the more of these corrupt officials there are the the worse the situation is for the grass for the people at the grassroots left
0: right uh thank you for that uh, Pierre, because we really have to look at the uh, what is happening now on the ground in Haiti within all of that context. The other thing before we get to just what's happening now and uh, in fact as of the time we're doing this this interview uh, both the President of, of um, the United States, uh, Biden and Trudeau in Canada have made some statements related to Haiti at the UN General Assembly meeting, the 2022 General Assembly meetings. But Pierre the, you and I, you have been on the show following the New York Times series, the expose on um, the the debt, basically, that's owed to Haiti. And in that expose, they confirmed what a lot of us knew, which is that the coup orchestrated against President Ades-Deed, uh in 2004 was to a great part not the only reason, but a great part that President Adesine had been demanding restitution and reparations from France for the uh, money that France had been extracting from Haiti uh, since the, uh, fundamentally, uh, since the revolution. So tell us about that. I'm asking about that now because reparations is very much on the table. On the continent of Africa, in the, in the diaspora, of course, uh, with the recent death of Queen Elizabeth II in, in England, the, col- the former colonial power uh, countries in the Caribbean, uh, in particular, are pressing that case. And then, in August of 2022, there was a major conference in Accra, Ghana, where the president of Ghana spoke, making a case for reparations. But uh, President Addissee, he was ahead of the curve in all of that, and has had paid a heavy price for for that tell us about that um about that demand and the the moves against president Adeside as a result of that and against the haitian people yes
3: yes definitely you know um because in 1825 the government of france the monarchy that had been restored and the monarchy had restored slavery. Well, starting with Napoleon, Napoleon had restored slavery. He had done a coup d'état against the revolutionary government of France, in which he restored the ancien régime, which is a monarchical form of government, pretty dictatorship, and also restored a lot of the um, the aristocrats to power. And so, with them came the restoration of slavery. And in all their colonies, and that was part of the of Napoleon's um, uh, assault on on Saint Domingue at that time, still a French colony where slavery had been abolished, and his plans were to restore slavery and put everybody back into slavery. So that was in part one of the things that fueled the movement uh, for independence, and uh, and Napoleon was soundly defeated. But about 21 years later, Haiti declared itself independent in 1804. 21 years later, in 1825, the king that had been restored in France actually sent uh, uh, an armada, a flotilla of warships, and demanding, demanded that Haiti pay reparations to the, former, to the plantation owners, to the former enslavers of the people of Haiti. And so, at the time, faced with this um, massive threat, and and I have to say that France wasn't alone in this. France was supported by the U.S., France was supported by Spain and Britain uh, at the time. So Haiti was by itself facing this, and there was it was made clear that people in Haiti would be would be reenslaved again, and so. Haiti was forced to pay the equivalent of 150 million gold francs, a huge sum. Later on, that amount was reduced to 90 million, which it amounted to, in, in, uh, based on the calculations by President Aristide and a team of legal experts, it amounted to, in 2003, at 21.7 billion dollars. And so this is the thing that uh, I was so happy to see the New York Times and the team of investigators do a very important expose of this. Usually the New York Times is, um, most of the time, if not all of the time, the New York Times coverage on Haiti is pretty abysmal. It's terrible. The New York Times has been the voice of Haiti's oligarchy and the voice of the retrograde. U.S. policies in terms of um, Haiti. But in this case, um, we were pleasantly surprised to see this very scholarly piece and uh, in-depth reporting on that. What were the impacts of Haiti having to pay this from 1825 until 1946? And according to others, it it went into the 1950s, that debt. Well, the impact was terrible. Monies that should have been invested in rebuilding the country for from the 13 years of warfare, monies that should have been invested in schools, monies that should have been invested in building the local agriculture, providing hospitals for people, clean sources of drinking water, building our cities, building the roads and the infrastructure of the country, and uh, to provide so that people could have uh, health care, sanitation, a sanitation system, so everyone in the country would have access to education, to healthcare, to standard of living that are fit for human beings. But those monies were being um, sent to build up France. And according to various reports, looks like the Eiffel Tower and also the gift made by the, by France. I heard some of those reports of the Statue of Liberty it was on the back also of Haitian people. So it's, it's that, that were, pretty much doing sharecropping to feed the friends and provide monies for them. So it was a terrible situation. The legacies are still with us today. The suffering of our people is still tied in to this brutal exploitation. And uh, when we go into the environmental degradation of Haiti, a lot of this, the Haitians had to pay for it with timber. So Haiti had a number of forests that was very, um, you know, extensive forest. So a lot of the forests were cut down in order to provide precious that precious timber that was growing in all those forests, and also to to pay for that debt. So the environmental degradation of Haiti is based on that period and in repaying that so called debt. So Haiti President Alice he demanded that friends returned this morning, that it restored this morning. This is known as restitution in the campaign called restitution reparations. Reparations is something else. Reparations is for the crime, of the kidnapping, working out people from Kent's in the morning till Kent's at night to quote Malcolm X, and uh, that's reparation. But this is restitution. It's a set amount. That was extorted from our people,
0: right? So money—that money that had already already been taken. So it's it's a restitution, and of course reparations also following that. Well, Pierre, thanks for that because a lot of people, you know, have all kinds of theories about. You know, there's always a thing about what's wrong with Haiti, Haitians seen as victims as opposed to the fierce protagonists that they have been from since before the revolution up until today. Haiti remains the most impoverished country in the Western Hemisphere, but it's very, very rich, I'll have to say, in art (laughs) and spirit, and certainly in, um, you know, organizing uh, mass movements that have been up against everything. And the, the deep poverty happening now in Haiti, where I'm looking at some data here that says a sack of rice costs $18, a can of dry beans costs $7, a gallon of cooking oil, you know, gone up to almost $11 with inflation at double digits. So we know the suffering uh, of the people. So PS, we're going to take a short station break now. And then we return, we're going to get into some of of the not only the context, but really some of what's behind what's happening right now on the ground in Haiti. Stay with us, we'll be right back. That
2: goes for all of us. There ain't nobody to trust. It's like sabotage. It's got me ready to bust, but I can't jeopardize what I've done up to this point. So I'ma get more guys to help me run the whole joint. Cultivate, multiply, motivate, or else we'll die. You know I'll be the master of the who, what, where, and why. We almost meet our moment of truth
0: okay welcome back to sojourner truth this is your host margaret prescott if you are a member of facebook you can like and and friend us there our handle on instagram and twitter and we are nationwide heard nationwide and worldwide on soundcloud and today we'd like to welcome our soundcloud listeners in Atlanta, in Atlanta, Georgia, and internationally, we would like to welcome our SoundCloud listeners in Senegal on the continent of Africa, Senegal and West Africa. This is a in-depth update on Haiti on the situation on the ground. What led to it? What is it? What are the grassroots movements up to? What are they demanding? What's standing in their way? And we also want to touch on some good news in terms of what is happening with the uh, teaching hospital that some, thankfully, some of our our listeners also help to support. This is Margaret Prescott, host of Sojourner Truth, and our guest is Uh, Pierre Leboisier, distinguished uh, Pierre Leboisier, co-founder of the Haiti Action uh, Committee. Pierre hails from the south of of Haiti, I think somewhere near in in the Lakai um, area. So, um, Mm P.S., in the first part of the show, you laid out very well the historic reasons um, that Haiti is where it is today. And when people look at the the deep poverty, and it is deep poverty in Haiti that the people are rising up against, you have the context of how that deep poverty happened. But Pierre, day after day, we're hearing the New York Times, the Washington Post, Miami Herald, a lot of the mainstream media talking about the insecurity caused by quote-unquote gang warfare. And you have the uh, organization the OAS of American States, and you now have um, Trudeau of, of Canada, the president of the Dominican uh, Republic, uh, Abinader calling for the return of UN troops to Haiti in order to keep the peace. But Pierre, first of all, let's unpack this whole gang warfare business somewhat, because the other piece of the thing that recently dropped is that recently a U.S. official came out to say, well, you know what, these gangs are actually supported, um, you know, and funded by Haitian elites, you know, because they have their own interests, you know, for, for their own interests. And of course, they're neglecting the role that the U.S. or any of these Western powers play. all of this. So Pierre, unpack that whole business about gangs uh, for us, including that some people are promoting some of the most notorious gang leaders, like um, uh, Barbecue, this Chazer guy who was involved in the massacre of um, so many people in in La Saline um, in in Port-au-Prince as some kind of revolutionary leader. But Pierre, your thoughts on this whole gang warfare business and the connection with the politics of what's happening on the ground.
3: Yes, uh, I, I'm glad you, you asked that question, Margaret, because they, every when I say they, I mean the U.S. France, Canada, the OAS, the UN, all of those players, um, all of those uh, actors and originators of the crisis in Haiti, they know very well the story. So to look at the gangs, basically they, they started making their appearance as, and that's why we were calling them death squads. So death gang slash death squads. Uh, right after the fall of Duvalier, many of the Tonton Macoutes were fleeing because they had they had really killed people, committed untold atrocities. Duvalier, father and son, the Tonton Macoutes were the death squads of Duvalier. A parallel force to Haiti's military, a paramilitary force, they had uniforms and everything, but terrible individuals. They were responsible for an estimated um, between thirty thousand to fifty thousand deaths in Haiti. And uh, so, after the fall of Duvalier in eighty-six, a number of them with their weapons were in the started resorting to. Before they used to extort money from the population and committing atrocities, atrocities. But they were disbanded, and so they 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 were among the population using their weapons to commit acts. And they were joined also by members of the Haitian military, which, by the way, it's a military that the U.S. had created when it invaded Haiti in 1915, and that military had always acted as an army of occupation. And has always acted as if he were at war against the Haitian people to maintain the status quo to protect a little clique of greedy individuals who were basically behaving as if um, it was in colonial days, you know, as if they had taken over from the worst uh, of what the, the um, plantation owners had been doing, and they saw Haiti as a place where they could rip off and toll profits exploit workers, paying them starvation wages, using the military to destroy when uh, unions to impose a piece of the cemeteries. So that's the origin of this, with the fall of Duvalier, members of the military joined with former Toto Makuts, and they used to invade people's homes. And uh, they, they used to be called at the time Zenglen Dose. That was the name given to them. We are talking late 80s, beginning 90s. They were encouraged to do that, too. By not only by Duvalier when he was in power, because he said, I don't have money to pay you, I give you a gun so you can earn your living. But after the fall of Duvalier, several military leaders stated the same thing to these guys. So the record is there to speak for it. During the period of the, after President Aristide was elected in office, and then there was a coup d'etat, in uh during the 91-94 period of the coup d'etat, uh, there was a group called FRAP, and FRAP, according to its leader, uh, Toto Constant, Emmanuel Toto Constant, who said that on 60 Minutes, FRAP was organized by the CIA, and he used to report regularly on a weekly basis to the CIA, and he, he said he was paid $800 a month to kill, to organize the mass killing of people in a campaign of terror. So FRAP used to conduct home invasions as well, and was part of this. Joining FRAP was a little clique, was another group known as the Ninjas. These were made up of children of the elite. And many people reported that the Ninjas were the worst, were the most vicious, the most uh, sadistic of these groups. So that's the origin of the gangs in Haiti. And they went on to continue. But it was always gangs who were at war against the population, uh, very politically connected. And continuing to the present, we see that it's from this continuing uh, line of activities. What I mean by that, meaning attacks against the population because the population is standing up. So these are politically uh, organized paramilitary groups and when they call them gangs, they are actually giving them, it's a way to say as if, well, you know, people are accustomed to gangs, so it's not connected to the government, it's outlaws. It's a clever way of trying to shield the Haitian government and the U.S. U.N. occupation forces in Haiti from responsibility as to, um, their, their, um, the atrocities they are committing. Um, uh, in October, early October 2020, as the police was and the police works closely with these so-called gangs and as the police were attacking uh the students who were protesting demanding uh, their rights demanding better better conditions for the university you had the police attacking the community of bel-air which had never uh, accepted the coup d'etat which had always been um, demonstrating for their rights demonstrating that the tax that they pay, that they extort from them, be used to provide services such as picking up the garbage, providing clean drinking water, providing um, healthcare services, which are guaranteed under the Haitian constitution, but those people are taking that money and putting it in their pockets. And also many of the activities of those so-called gangs, these paramilitary death squads in the rural areas has been to dispossess people of their land uh peasants from the land that they have so that they can be given to a big to a big shot landowner to auto officials in Haiti who are tied in with this little clique. So that's their role. And I think it's total misnomer to call them gangs. And continuing to the present, uh, you, you were there at La Saline, you interviewed a number of the of the uh, survivors of the massacre of La Saline. There have been many other communities in areas where the people are very poor. The people are demanding their rights, and I should say they are impoverished because it's something that they are, they don't just happen to be poor. It's, they are being deprived of their, of the taxes, of the benefits from the taxes that they are paying. Uh, The resources of Haiti, the copper, the, the marble, the various resources that Haiti has, Backside and all of that—that's being exploited. Those monies are not being invested in the population the way it should be in order to make their lives better. So, and when people rise up because people are very aware of this, these paramilitary forces that work with the government and that work with the uh, the U.S. UN occupation—they are—they um, unleashed on them with the worst form atrocities such as. Uh, gang rips of women um, burning destroying homes um, you know all kinds of yeah. things that you can imagine burning people alive and i just want to ask this thing uh, in october 2020 the office of the of the secretary general of the u.n um, uh, antonio guterres his office represented by helen Lalim in haiti made the statement crediting the Jimmy Chérizier's G9, the federation of the, of the gangs led by Jimmy Chérizier, who you mentioned earlier, was part of the La Saline massacre, saying that uh, in places where they control, the level of homicide has gone down. Something totally, outrageous. totally false because they were at yeah. the time attacking the people of Bel Air. And, um, and now to see them saying, well, we need more UN troops. The UN troops have uh, so many atrocities they have committed, massacres in Cité Soleil, 2004, 2005, in various communities of Bel Air, and you name it, the, the raping of men, of young women, mostly, and some young men. Um, they have fathered so many children in Haiti and they have picked up and left. Also, the cholera epidemic that the UN has pretended. They have admitted to it, but they say, well, make me pay if you can. that That's their attitude, you know, complete lawlessness that these people have brought on the people of Haiti and for them to claim that they are needed. Um, that That's why the people of Haiti say this is a war of genocide against the people of Haiti.
0: Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and, and follow, yeah, our guest, by the way, is, Pierre who hails from Haiti, from the south of Haiti, and is a, a, a democracy and human rights activist, um, as uh, on behalf of, of Haiti and, and generally speaking, um, Pierre, I'm glad you unpacked that thing about the so named the so named gangs. I mean, reading the press articles now about the recent uh, protests, one would get the Im- impression that it's only about fuel. It's only about the rise in gas prices. And of course, we know that that's also another assault on, on people who are, you know, who are barely surviving. You have 50% of Haiti's population uh, undernourished Pierre, as you say, um, imposed, uh, you know, poverty. Over 6 million of Haiti's population of 10.4 million live below the national poverty line, which is ridiculous. The national poverty line is $2.41 a day. You could just imagine. So there's a lot more to these protests than the rise uh, in fuel. And the U.S. now, in terms of getting out of their complicity, they're saying, well, these gangs are connected to kind of oligarchs of the 1% in Haiti who are making money uh, from the so-named Black Market on, um, you know, the, the, the sell, sale of, of fuel. And that's really what it's about. But it, in a way, it really is a, is, is a diversion. So I'm glad you uh, broke, uh, you know, you broke that down for us. But P.S., now, the, you know, I, I do want to get to talk to unifa about Unifa and the hospital, some of the good news. Uh, but before we, we get to that, if um, I may tell may us regret. a bit, yeah, say, say what you want, Pierre, but then now, I have if another I question, and then I, we need to get
3: to you, to Diva. Uh-huh. Yes, yes. Uh, if I may say this, one of the uses of these so-called gangs, of those squads, at one time during about two, two years ago or so, when there was a massive intensification of the protest, what they what they did was they took one of those so-called gang leaders and had him uh, come out as he was part of the protest. And the people denounced this. But the trick was then later on, the press said, oh, the gangs, are, are, are they are the ones who are protesting. They did the same thing using barbecue this time about a couple of days ago. Had him come out in the streets with his guns and everything else, even though there is a warrant for his arrest. And no one tried to even try to arrest him or anything. And the next thing you know, it was oh, it's the gangs who are protesting. Yeah, but and p- you are correct. People yeah, are not.
0: Yeah, Pierre. P- I'm I, picking yes. up on that point, though. Uh, I think it's important to you know to you know to note exactly what you're saying about uh, about these gangs, but also the grassroots in, in Haiti, the the lavalas uh, movement, people who've been. Uh, were out on the streets, I think, month before last, by the tens of thousands asking for President Adeside to um, consider leading an interim government. Um, Haitians have been coming together for a Haitian-led solution. Now, we know that some of that process, the so-named Montana Accord, were kind of taken over by the U.S. and you know, some people under the thumb of of the U.S. But nevertheless, there is a movement, a coming together of people who are saying, look, the sali public of good governance, we want an interim government. And it seems to me as though every time that movement really tries to make a headway in that process, this be so named gang warfare, you know, breaks out, etc. And to me, it seems like an undermining of that movement, like the powers that be would prefer for what they're even, they are now calling anarchy on the streets of Haiti rather than allow a Haitian-led um, um, interim process that is accountable to the grassroots and is not corrupt. Your fault on that, Pierre, and then we're going to have to re- um, go on to Unifa.
3: Pierre. Yeah. No, no, that, that's very correct what you have said because um, you see, when Lavalas was campaigning back in the year 2000 or oh, 1999 or so, even prior to that, it was on a basis of a program. And the program was put in book form. The program came from the grassroots of the Haitians from throughout Haiti. And uh, I was in a community in 2000 of we of, um, rural community very far away where we had to park the kind and then walk a distance in order to get there. And we were talking, we said, are you aware of the book called Investir dans le monde? That was the Lavalas Party, the Formula Lavalas Party platform, investing in people, investing in people. And they said, what? Yes, we helped write that book. <laughs> Meaning right. they had consulted at the very local level and sent their views to and this process to place throughout Haiti. And it was their views based on their needs for school, healthcare, support for local agriculture, clean drinking water, wood construction, and so many other sanitation and so many other things that were put into this book that that was put in book form that could be that was shared all over Haiti and was part of the discussions on the radio and what have you. And it was on this basis that the that uh, the masses of our sisters and brothers came out and overwhelmingly voted for Lavalas a second time in the election of 2000. And so Lavalas was attacked. So no one ever everyone these achievements are very much on people's minds. So people were engaged in a process of rebuilding the country when the coup of 2004 brutally interrupted that process and started destroying all of the advancements, such as the subsidies. Um, President Aracid had, had, um, the government of President Aracid had established subsidies on gasoline to keep the prices affordable so that because whenever the price of gasoline goes up, everything else goes up as well. So they had provided subsidy, subsidies for schools, subsidies uh, to help the population. Uh, transportation uh, to schools was free, totally free. And uh, quite a program. And so people were, that's what was fueling, has been fueling the protest from the day of the, to the present. So they, whenever you see that people are saying, well, when, when I mean people, I mean the press, Uh, The foreign press is saying that, um, well, it's all because of the rise of gas. They know better, because they know better and they are putting it out as if to section off different things and give people a sense as if, well, what sense can we make out of it? No, it's very clear. People are fighting for better quality of life. People are fighting to regain what was taken away from them, their democracy, and democracy not just to go every five years and vote democracy on a daily basis, meaning their um, input, their participation, and their work to build a Haiti, every man, woman, and child yeah. can live fully and... Um,
0: yeah what you're saying is true from what i know and and being on the ground in haiti and going to different uh parts of haiti but it does seem as though the powers that be are very very much determined that this must not happen that either uh there has That's to be going. a government in haiti that uh follows the tune of the u.s and the western uh powers that a grassroots movement um, can never be in power again, uh, such as La Velas, and that they are willing to starve people out, to kill people, to, um, you know, do whatever they deem necessary, um, you know, t- to avoid that happening. And I think it's really important for people to keep that in mind because even some progressives in the U.S. and Latin America and elsewhere, you know, get very, very confused and start, you know, cozying up, but not only with somebody like Barbecue, uh, Jamie Chazette, that you mentioned, but also some of the uh, supporters of the coup, of uh, the 2004 coup. And I'm I'm not going to forget, I'm from the Caribbean region, and I'm not going to forget the names of those organizations that wrote to my compatriots in the Caribbean region, telling them not to give refuge to President Aristide and his family okay, taking the same line as the CIA and the U.S. state. Sorry, Pierre, a little mini rant there on that. But Pierre, we're going to have to continue this conversation. Thank you. We
3: have to speak the truth.
0: Absolutely. Um, But we just have really, you know, maybe about eight minutes or so remaining. And every time we talk about Haiti, well, a lot of times we talk about Haiti, we talk about the bad news. But I've learned so much from the Haitian grassroots movement, by the way. I think we all have a lot to learn from the Haitian grassroots movement. And anybody who says they're for Black lives, I suggest they better find out about the history of Haiti, read Black Jacobins, Find out about the Black Jacobins today, what the movement on the ground is saying, and don't just swallow the Kool-Aid that's being put out on mainstream press and even by some uh, progressive media. But the other good news, and besides the fact that Haitian people are so resilient in the face of everything that they're up against, Tell us about now um, the University of the Adistee Foundation. Um, we have done some shows on on that, and we've uh, back in the day d- even did a little fundraising during our fund drive um, for uh, Unifa. Tell us about that university, and specifically about the teaching hospital that I understand is is functioning at the moment. Here,
1: yes,
3: this is um, this is one of the bright spots. You know, I'm a, as you mentioned earlier, I'm also a co-founder of the Haiti Emergency Relief Fund. And so we've been engaged with uh, trying to support different local initiatives by serious people on the ground in terms of local agriculture, in terms of schools, uh, clean drinking water, pumps, irrigation pumps, you know, whatever little we can do to get some, mm-hmm to get some funding so that people can buy things. And uh, and so UNIFA is one of the bright sh- to shows what is possible, what the people have been doing. So it was funded by President Aristide and his wife Mildred uh, when they were in office in Haiti back in 2001, I believe. That's when the, they first laid the, um, the the cornerstone for it. And so during the coup, and it was flourishing, and during the coup, it was taken over, the buildings were taken over, and uh, the students were kicked out, and it was turned into army barracks by the U.S., and later on when the U.N. came, they gave them the place, which some people told me was also used as a prison. So a lot of the infrastructure inside, the wiring, a lot of things were ripped off and stolen by these by these troops, And so when President Aracid came back after seven years of exile, one of his major things was education. He had said it in an article that he would be very focused on education. And so he kept his promise. And he started to repair and rebuild Unifa, repairing all the damaged buildings and everything. So they started um, in October or September, I believe, 2011. With only 122 students. Now, UNIFA has, um, over 4,000 students and with eight or nine schools, including engineering, the medical school of sports, nursing, physical therapy, engineering, uh, you name it, you know, all of that is there, about nine or so. And, um, and the UNIFA graduations are every year in March or uh, um, something that Haitians everywhere tunes in and are very proud to watch. And this is, here, here it is when you are seeing so much waste, so millions of dollars just disappearing into nothing, volatilizing, you know. But here you have this institution, along with some others too, that are very uh, working with, uh, based on support and what have you, really finishing magnificently, showing what Haitians are capable of doing, and what we've always known we could do and have done, even though they keep telling us that, no, we need the, the UN to be there, and all they do is create care. So it, it's been fantastic. You mentioned the teaching hospital. One of the things is that in med- medical school, you need to have a place where your students, after they graduate from the theoretical part, they have to do their residency. And so the teaching hospital is about to be completed or almost finished right now. At first, when I first heard about the desire to build a teaching hospital, I was like uh, panicking, you know, saying, oh man, is this possible? But here we are three years later, it's pretty much finished, you know, except for a couple of touches here and there. And, and, and it's, it's phenomenal. And I know you've done fundraising for it. And I want to thank the audience and the many people who have uh, contributed to her so that uh, towards the hospital. It's really a fantastic, fantastic thing. And it's going to provide not only a place for the young doctors and nurses and physical therapists to practice their their to to do to have practical applications. But also many of them have been uh last year when there was the earthquake in the south about a year ago, many of those students were actually and young graduates were actually in the most hard hit areas providing support, providing healthcare for the population free of charge. And what they've been doing since the time that UNIFA came back in operation has been to do mobile clinics in various communities in the Port-au-Prince area, in other parts of Haiti, to provide people with affordable or or healthcare free of charge, complete with medication and everything. So all of these are, this is what the new Haiti is supposed to look like. And that's what people in Haiti remembered. During the years of Lavalas, and that's why people are in the streets saying we are not just saying we are against the corrupt this, the corrupt system, and the corrupt officials, and the corrupt uh, U.S. UN occupation. We are here to say that we are for this this um, this new Haiti that is being built by the right. average by, by the men by the women and men of Haiti.
0: Right. And and the young people who are coming up, the young doctors and and lawyers and and nurses and all of the medical um, professionals that are are listening uh, out there is just fantastic news. I was there when the uh, you know, you, you first, what do you do? Move the earth and put the shovel for the uh, for the teaching <laughs> hospital. So I am so moved and so, so pleased. Congresswoman Maxine Waters was there. Danny Glover, uh, you yes. were there, a number of us. Uh, but Pierre, we, we really are out of time right now. I do know that the hospital does have some needs. I know an MRI machine would really be, be great. And some more dental chairs, yes. etc. So Pierre, can, is there a website, People can go if they want to support the teaching hospital and uh, and UNIFA the university. A, a positive thing. Just we have about thirty seconds, so tell us that website quickly, and also the website for the Haiti um, Action Committee, Pierre Labrassier.
3: Yes, the website is Haiti Emergency Relief Fund, and uh, the website is um, Haiti Emergency Relief dot. O R G. People can also go. Y- mm-hmm. Yeah, for
0: the Haiti Action Committee, because I, I gotta it's, go right now,
3: Pierre. So, uh-huh. Haiti Solidarity Katie net.
0: Well, Pierre, we'll have you back. We're out of time. i got a dash. Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, spend with us. I'd like to thank our assistant producer, Alicia Vargas, our engineer, our Gary Baca. Today's show produced by me. That's Margaret Prescott. You're going to stay tuned for Democracy Now! Sojourner Truth will be back on the air tomorrow. Thank you for listening. You all stay well and safe.